Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Digital Evolution, where we're taking a slightly different slant on this conversation, but one that we feel is extremely relevant to the world and what is going on at the moment. So in this podcast, typically we explore great digital ideas, industry change and technology, innovative business practices. But for this one, we're actually going to be taking a bit of a closer look at balancing work and life, looking at mental health and understanding what the recent times during COVID and things that have been going on in the last few months have impacted people in both work and outside as well. So we're joined by the wonderful Amber Costa, who is the founder of a company called Balpro. So Amber's got a really interesting story. We know each other from high school, so we go back a, a fair way, though we haven't seen each other for a number of years. But Amber's story is very interesting. She helped take a software company and worked as a core member of that team from about around a $100 million valuation to around approximately $3.7 billion at acquisition, uh, which is an incredible journey, an incredible story, which we'll go into shortly. So Amber's company, Valpro, is a really interesting business. So really, it's about focusing on maintaining business performance, but not at the cost of its employees. Uh, and Amber will, will kind of shed some light on that for us. So it's really kind of looking at creating aspirational workplaces that are safe to log off from. And I'm sure at the moment that resonates with a lot of us who have been going through a very challenging and turbulent time of late. So I'm sure it will be able to help some people guide them on, on their journey as well at the moment. So welcome, Amber. Thanks so much, Josh. It's good to be here. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Looking at your story, obviously, earlier on when we knew each other, uh, slightly different. We didn't know what our journeys were going to take us. Could you just kind of give us a bit of a background in, in terms of what you went into in your early stages of the career and then how you helped take that business from where it was to, uh, to the acquisition point? Yeah, absolutely. So generally, when getting people up to speed with this journey, I do start in 2013. Although I should make it really clear that if you had a proper look at my CV or my resume, then it's a total mess. Like I, I had 100 jobs before then. I didn't go to university because I was just desperate to get into the workforce and start doing it myself and accidentally fell from thing to thing trying to find my way and find my place and then fell into the technology sector finally landing at a company, a software company in 2013, who were a sexy little Silicon Valley startup. And the product that they were selling, <laughs> this wasn't their marketing terms, this was my, <laughs> my interpretation, but the software made the internet work better. Sure. So I thought, well, people use the internet. The internet's kind of a big deal. So this one should work out. Let me give that a go. I was really excited about joining a company that was so new. So I was employee number six in Europe and they had very big aspirations and absolutely no strategy <laughs> whatsoever. So it was really, really crazy, very chaotic at the start, but massive growth goals. And we're really talking about this path to IPO, which so many Silicon Valley or San Francisco companies really aspire to. So I joined there February 2013 in a marketing position that was very much a foot soldier position. It had a management title, but I mean, a lot of the time I was basically a courier, picking up event kit and going to trade shows in Germany or France or London or whatever. Very quickly, my manager got promoted into the strategic team, which meant that I was chosen to actually build up the local team in EMEA. And we had a massive recruitment focus, very big sales targets. 
and just went on this path of complete and utter hypergrowth. So my career had a meteoric rise, really, constantly going out of my comfort zone, plagued by imposter syndrome, which we can talk a little bit more about later, possibly. I didn't know what that meant then, but basically it's the whole kinds of faking it till you're making it feeling and feeling like somebody is going to catch you out about actually not being good enough to be able to do that job. And it was really, really relentless. So at this point, I was head over heels in love <laughs> with the company. I still talk now about it being my greatest love affair, but fear that my husband's probably going to put a stop to that at some point. And it was one of those situations where we were just constantly hitting a goal, but then striving towards the next one and striving towards the next one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of very long days, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of success, a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, and a very, very intense working environment. So I kept this up for, as you mentioned earlier, when I joined the company was worth $100 million. I kept this up for the next four and a half years to the point where 48 hours before we were due to IPO on NASDAQ, we were bought by Cisco for $3.7 billion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By this point, I'd actually moved from a marketing position into a regional COO position where I was looking after a lot of different areas of the business. So looking after sales analytics and leadership development as well as helping with recruitment and still overseeing some of the marketing strategy and basically being head of miscellaneous and a bit of a fixer (laughs) to anything that really came up and after we were acquired by Cisco I was one of the kind of lucky chosen few that was able to go over to New York and go to the Nasdaq ringing of the bell which was obviously just a little bit of a nicety because it didn't mean anything because we weren't actually being listed with the app d tickets and which is a pleasantry sure and we went over there and had my picture on big billboards in central park and it was supposed to be this enormous milestone in my career and i honestly felt like i was at my own funeral Mm. so what was on paper and the reality of the situation really didn't match up. It was one of those kind of Instagram reality moments mm-hmm. where my life looked amazing. I was you know, living in a nice apartment in West London and over in New York having this fantastic party and these celebrations, but I was feeling really awful. Mm-hmm. And after this, I spent the next six months really kind of fighting to help protect and maintain this great culture that I felt like we'd built and protect the organization from this big beast that can come and bought us and snapped us up mm-hmm. and helping lead the MA integration and was feeling really unwell. So found myself explaining that I was feeling sick and tired and that I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired all the time. So mm-hmm. it's constantly nauseous, constantly exhausted and feeling pretty broken. I ignored it <laughs> and kept on pushing on because again, I'm totally addicted and obsessed by my work and feeling like that mission is ever so important. And six months of feeling like that later, my entire body and brain just totally shut down. Mm -hmm. So I got to the point where I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't walk down the road for more than 10 minutes. I'd look at a spreadsheet, which to me was like, you know, reading a spreadsheet was like reading a text message. It was just very, very easy. But I'd look at the cells and the numbers and they no longer made sense. 
and I had to finally admit that there was something very wrong. Took a couple of weeks off work, was misdiagnosed with glandular fever. The virus was just in my blood from when I was a teen and ended up having an assortment of physical tests. So x-rays, ultrasounds, blood tests, urine tests, neurological exams, all of that kind of stuff. And finally, a doctor came back to me and said that I had the blood of a 20-year-old Olympian. And I just cried (laughs) because I knew by this point, the two weeks had extended to about three months. Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting any better. I was missing the work so much. I knew that there was something very wrong. So finally, I was sent to a psychiatrist. And at this point, I think it was one of those real kind of moments in life where if somebody asked you how it was going to go, you'd expect it to go quite differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I was told that I should go and see a psychiatrist. And I thought I predicted that I'd be okay with that because I'm so woke and so accepting. But actually, at a point where somebody turned around to me and said, this is most likely a mental health problem. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's fine if you've got a mental health problem or you've got a mental illness, but maybe not me. And I like to talk about that because I think that it really shows how much stigma still exists Mm -hmm. today, even when we think that we're accepting. So I obviously did go to the psychiatrist. I then learned all about burnout and I accepted all of the help and went on to medication and therapy and started really researching mental health problems that are associated to this kind of non-stop relentless workplace culture yeah and realized that it's rife and that it's all over the place so i ended up out of the workplace for about six months in all putting myself back together and then decided to actually return to that company for a couple of reasons One of them was that, quite simply, I wanted to be able to rebuild my confidence in a place Mm -hmm. that was familiar. Um, And then the other was I didn't want it to be, I had this amazing journey, helped build this incredible company, then I got sick at the end. I wanted to be able to go back and leave a better legacy and to help protect the people that were still there. And also to use it as a bit of a playground to see how we could make the workplace better for still achieving those great results, but make sure that we were looking after people as well. So that's what I did. I went back there for about another year and a half and then left to kind of go and be the change I wanted to see in the world on a grander scale. And that's when I started Valpro. Amazing. So that must've been a terrifying time really, because it's all that information to take in, but being so knocked by it, and having to kind of come to terms with something that's so big as well must have been a really scary time for you. Yeah, it was It was really crazy because my entire tenure there ended up being about six and a half years. But at the point where I had this, you know, what was in essence a real mental and physical breakdown, so much of my worth and my purpose was wrapped up in my job. Yeah. And I know that that will be familiar to a lot of people who tune into... Yeah, yeah your podcast as well and when suddenly you wake up and you're no longer you know amber at company who are you and there's something very very scary about that as well understanding actually if I if I'm not this person in the workplace what else am I yeah it's something we hear a lot as well especially in our world in the digital space and company owners that have had a buyout or they've done a big merger or they've become part of a bigger organization 
often they kind of then have this buyout period and at the end of that period they lost they've got money <laughs> they've got yeah the, the things that they thought they wanted to work towards but they no longer have that sense of purpose and that identity that they had because that was part of them mm-hmm. and I can see that I always look at it as well and think right okay so over the next x amount of years our plan is blah 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 and you know we'll get to this point and there'll probably be a buyout of some sort and then the question is always well, what we do after that and you go, well, actually, that's a really good question. I mean, that's quite a terrifying thought, isn't it? To be so involved in something so big and such a massive impact on your life to then move away from that completely must be quite a shock to the system. Totally, totally. And anybody who's kind of sitting there listening to this part of the conversation and it's, it's really resonating with them, then I just say go and read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight because right, yeah. when he talks about the IPO, the Nike IPO going through, he's talking exactly about this subject and like that feeling of like what next (laughs) and regret that it's all over and it's really fascinating yeah great book great book definitely one one that i'd recommend too so um good shout there so obviously that led you i guess on on to create balpro so can you give us a bit more of an idea of what balpro is and the type of work you do now yeah, absolutely. So BALPRO stands for The Balance Project. That's how I kind of came up with the name. And I came up with The Balance Project because when I was thinking about what the answer was to this problem of like, how does a company go and sustain this growth? But as you were saying earlier, but not at the cost of its employees, mm-hmm. I just kept on coming down to this idea of balance. Yep. And also when I was thinking about what's really important for people you know what I was lacking I was completely lacking balance and I didn't really realize back then and I didn't really know what balance even was and I certainly didn't realize that getting a little bit more balance would make me a more effective employee (laughs) rather than less Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I came up with the idea and the concept of the company and originally I was focusing on a lot of stuff that was based on results and performance and culture and mission and vision and values, as well as the mental health aspect. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that the business is kind of pivoted now in this COVID world is that I'm talking a lot more about mental health because we are just going through such a crisis in this area at the moment. And actually the cost of mental illness on organizations, as well as the human cost is extremely high. So, I do a lot of work with organizations around how they're able to make more of a safe and supportive environment, how to start talking about burnout or how to start talking about general mental health in the workplace, how to help spot the signs within yourself and build your own resilience and try and prevent reaching a crisis point. I work with a lot of management to help them tackle these tougher conversations but also to look after themselves as well as look after other people. And a lot of different things really in just helping organizations set some boundaries so that they can keep on reaching those results and performing how they need to, but that they're really looking after their employees and maintaining that aspirational culture as well. Sure. Yeah, because you mentioned the burnout epidemic, which I guess is, you know, really manifested itself during this crisis. Uh, I mean, how have you seen that kind of really take hold over the last few months with people? Yeah, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about 
lockdown or or anything that's happened post COVID and burnout is the first thing that people think about is the fact that we're all working from home or the majority of us are working from home now, which means instantly those boundaries between like the workplace and your home are blurred. Mm-hmm. And people have definitely been finding that even when they've had flexible working and remote working in the past, that actually the boundaries are more blurred and the kind of hours of work, nobody really works a nine to five. (laughs) Uh, Weekends don't really exist in that kind of thing. So I've definitely noticed a lot more pressure around those topics and have been working with organizations on how they can better support their employees to set these boundaries. But the other thing that's really come into play has been that when COVID started, everybody was really, really scared. And it's probably the first time, certainly like in my living memory, that everybody's foundations have really, really been rocked to the point where overnight we were worried about getting our hands on food. Like if you think back to March, people were stockpiling. And it's very easy to forget six months on the crazy stuff that was happening back then, Mm -hmm. but everybody was affected and everybody was really scared. And one of the things that people did was they threw themselves into their work as a way to distract and to numb as a bit of an anesthetic. It was like, I might not be able to control what happens with coronavirus, but I can control to a point what happens with my work. So I'm going to throw myself into that. And to a point that can be quite helpful, but when it gets too much, you'll end up resenting it. You'll end up making mistakes and you'll end up burning out. And then of course, another thing that's really come out of this is that there is absolutely no equality in a world where everybody works from home because you've got certain people who are living in a house share with five other people and their office is now their bedroom. And they've never even met the people that they live with before because they normally pass like ships in a night. Sure. And then you've got, you know, like yourself with two kids who need looking after and they can't be shipped off to nursery or to school because that's no longer an option. Mm-hmm. And then you've got somebody who actually is really lonely living in a flat on their own and hasn't seen another soul in months. So you're also starting to deal with the fact that everybody's work work from home or working situation is just incredibly different. And this has brought a number of different pressures into the workplace when everybody's trying to put up a bit of a front and turn up on Zoom calls, very aware of what's in the, you know, in the camera behind them and put a smile on it and pretend that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's something that we've seen as a business as well. Massively, you know, I think that resilience gets knocked and you know people's kind of ability to make not rational decisions because I don't think that's quite the right the right term for it but definitely to simple things would you know can definitely become more challenging when you're under such an inordinate amount of pressure to kind of resume normality in such a weird time and I think you're exactly right it's so easy to forget a lot of the big things that actually did impact people you know both uh, kind of physically being able to get out of the house and, and, and whatnot and mentally and we sort of move on and go yeah but you know we're all back to normal now aren't we well we're not for a start mm. and also we've also just come off the back of one of the you know probably one of the biggest things that's ever going to happen to most people in the world and 
you know, there is a, it, it does seem like people are very quick to kind of move on from it, but actually we're still left with this sort of trail of destruction behind us that we now need to uh, figure out how we um, move forward and and pick up the pieces of. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's not gone. It's, it's, it's No, still, uh, that's the um, thing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And there's also this other layer of like a very different kind of anxiety mm. that's coming up that, I don't think people have dealt with so much before, which is this health anxiety where everybody is in different places. So you've got some people who are shielding themselves or have had family who are shielding and are very, very conscious of not leaving their house or what they're touching, what they're coming into contact with. And then you've got people who are just like very, very relaxed about the situation or, Mm -hmm. or perhaps kind of in denial about its existence altogether and everything in between, which when you're bringing that into the workplace as well and trying to make unified decisions, it's really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, a lot of people will be suffering at the moment, as we know, and and it's quite obvious uh, when you read the news and and when you hear things as well as, you know, when you speak to people uh, in the day to day as well. And I imagine you, from your position, see it more than others. What sort of advice do you have for any individuals that are suffering right now? And, you know, what sort of outlook can they, can they expect, really, from this? Yeah, I think the first bit of advice, really, is just to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, now is a time where we really, really need to increase the compassion. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that people often talk about when they're talking about any kind of struggle or mental resilience or mental health is that kind of thing of like oh just man up you know just get Mm -hmm. over it just get on with it just push on now is not the time to do that if you're aware that you are struggling and your body is telling you something tap into that and listen and I was as I said earlier I was off work for six months my body was telling me for more than six months before then that there was something wrong but I was ignoring it tapping in and understanding okay hold on a second there's something that doesn't feel quite right here and being able to then think about what might make this better is the first step and it means that you can try to get ahead and prevent reaching that crisis point later so it's really understanding okay I'm not feeling good right now why do I think that that might be and what am I lacking what is going to make me feel better do I need to talk to somebody? Should I contact my GP? Should I look at an organization like Mind, for instance, the mental health charity? I volunteer for a charity called Shout Crisis Text Line, which is excellent. And you can text Shout to 85258 for free 24-7 to get access to a load of different resources that are suitable for lots of different kinds of situations. But it might just be that you need to start putting your phone on airplane mode a little bit more or getting a little bit more Mm -hmm. exercise or getting a bit more sleep or telling a friend, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling so great and just sharing that. But the first thing is just do not ignore it. Do not put your head in the sand. It's much, much wiser and much, much stronger to actually face up and admit, okay, something's not feeling quite right. How can I start to nourish me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even I've taken a few of those points that you mentioned there myself, and it's already started to be a massive improvement on a lot of those things, you know, where turning off certain notifications and making sure you're not checking things as regularly as you are. You know, if you're sat in a room at a desk in your Mm. house, 
uh, for X amount of hours a day. There are so many uh, work-based distractions that can come through through internal comms tools and email and phone calls. And, and it's actually really difficult sometimes to stay and maintain focus where you should do because mm. you've got all of these things pinging at you all the time. So actually just switching some of those off throughout the day is super important. It makes such a difference. I think that that point of acknowledgement is always a turning point. Yeah. Like accepting and acknowledging that something isn't right is the most important critical moment and things do improve after that. And when you've been struggling and when you are struggling, like I work on my mental health every single day, I will do for the rest of my life now. But when you're really, really in it, when you're really in a dark spot, it feels like it's going to be everlasting. It feels permanent. Mm-hmm. every single time I know it's not permanent because I've been in and out of these yeah, spots yeah, yeah. but I can go into one tomorrow and I'll think that it's going to be permanent again yeah, yeah. and I think that just acknowledging that you need to be a bit patient and actually that it will pass is another kind of mindset hack that can be really helpful yeah that's great advice because it is so hard you know when you're in that mode you know just to see the woods through the trees is is yeah. sometimes just a big challenge isn't it and yeah that's when it really kind of manifests itself so uh, yeah great advice you know obviously again in terms of your work and our work and everyone that we speak to and clients that we're in comms with and you know there's lots of business owners listening out there that have got employees as well so what's your advice on how to tackle the aftermath for employees well-being as well so how can an employer you know really help their employees moving forward so obviously as you said like we're still very much in it like we don't even know what the aftermath looks like yet I think that there'll probably be a number of different steps to that along the way it's never too early to start making a real difference and getting ahead of these issues and the best thing that employers can do is really focus on prevention you don't want to wait till your entire workforce has reached a crisis point because then it's going to be really hard for your business to recover so the three real kind of key points that I like to talk about is The first one is don't be too scared to have the mental health conversation. A lot of organizations that I work with actually prefer to tackle this by talking about burnout because it just feels like a more comfortable phrase for them to use than mental health. And if that's what's comfortable to you, then that's absolutely fine. It doesn't really matter where you're approaching that from. There also can be this hesitancy that if we start talking about Mental health obviously is a spectrum, but if we start talking about mental illness, then employees might take advantage and they might start saying, oh, you know what, I'm not going to do this because I'm feeling quite anxious or I'm feeling quite depressed. And the people who are going to take advantage are already taking advantage. They're already pulling sickies. (laughs) Um, You don't need to worry about them. And it's an issue that's very, very old school and people should forget about instantly. Because actually, just being able to start introducing this as a topic and say, hey, you know what? This is all over the news. We know that there's a mental health crisis happening right now. We know that it's going to get worse. We know that the situation that everybody's living and working through right now is really, really tough. We don't have all of the answers today, but we want to start working on making this a better place for you to be working in and be performing in just starting to introduce that as a topic and that as a mission makes such a difference in people being able to feel safe and supportive internally and it actually will just start naturally meaning that some of these more open conversations can start happening 
and performance will improve. Sure. So the first one, don't be too scared to talk about it. Find a way that feels natural and authentic to broker that topic. Obviously, I'm here to help if people want help with that. The second part is getting to know your people. And this is really important, especially for management, when we're really focused on just getting through and getting the team on the call and talking about the KPIs and meeting objectives and stuff like that. It's actually right now we need to get to know the people that are working for us Mm -hmm. because some people need a real push and some people actually need to be pulled back. But unless you get to know them and what motivates them, what's going on in their life, how they react to stress, you're not really going to know how to manage them best. And more than ever, everybody needs a different, more individual touch. I'm not saying that everybody, that management needs to immediately become like a therapist or a shrink and to know the deepest, darkest details of everybody's life. Like start small, find out if that person's got a dog and what their dog is called, you know? Like you you don't just show up to a one-to-one when you haven't had a proper conversation with this person before and say, tell me about your deepest, darkest feelings because it's just not going to work. But start to actually get to know people on more of a human level mm-hmm. um, because, you know, <laughs> just Google the power of vulnerability. There is a lot of power in vulnerability and humanness and it makes a massive difference. Sure. And then the third and final one is really to shift to more of an outcomes-based model. So stop thinking about how many hours people need to show up. Stop thinking about putting pressure on people to reply to emails instantly mm-hmm really think about what the main objective is for each person in their role and setting very, very clear objectives that people can reach in the time that you need them to be able to reach those objectives. And that means that people can actually implore proper flexible working that suits their situation in order to be able to meet the company goals, but aren't just showing up and logging onto their computer unnecessarily. So there will be certain people who favor working in the evening at the moment because their childcare needs are that that they need to you know their kids might not be able to attend school right now so they need to look after their kids in the day and it's easier for them to be able to focus on work in the evening somebody else's hours could be the reverse so one of the great ways to do it is to set some really core hours that are there for team calls mm-hmm. where everybody gets on you can still kind of promote that sense of community and camaraderie But outside of those core skeleton hours, people go and do the job that they need to do to go and reach those objectives. It's a really interesting point, that. And it's one that, you know, we've definitely, again, because of being forced into home working, we normally do a split. Fairly flexible, but we do in and out of office working. So we do a few days a week in the office and then a couple or a few days a week out of the office. And we've always had that balance to give ourselves as the business owners a balance but also to allow the team and them to have a balance with their families and to drop the kids off to school and pick them up and do all that type of thing. And we always felt that's really worked well, just even something as simple as that. But, you know, we've definitely seen the struggles of just being there all the time in front of the computer screen. So a really good point. So I suppose the industry that we're working in often focuses around technology specifically. It's quite well known that people in tech have, a lot of the time there's mental health battles and things like depression and anxiety are discussed quite a lot in this industry. There's a lot of time spent behind computer screens. There's a lot of time handling big projects. There's a lot of communication and strains with that as well. How can we help people in these industries, I suppose, and in technology 
what type of things can we put in place people that may involve a lot of screen time or have isolated work patterns what what type of things can we introduce to help them so again the outcome based focus is really something that will help with that but when you're rolling that out it's putting a focus on encouraging rest Mm -hmm. in the time where you're not working towards meeting those objectives so often we talk about you know within Belpro we talk about investing in rest because actually people taking some time to rest improves their productivity improves their creativity their focus and rest can mean many different things so rest doesn't necessarily mean just going and having a lay down <laughs> and having like having a Netflix binge. Yeah. Rest can be just simply switching off from the day job. So it can be losing yourself in a book. It can be exercise for some people. Mm-hmm. It can be cooking yourself a meal. It can be spending some time with a community group that's important to you or engaging in something that gives you some value and some purpose outside of the workplace, but really encouraging employees to go and figure out what nourishes them and investing time outside of their core working hours in something completely unrelated to the business that's going to recharge them and nourish them is so important. And actually celebrating that and bringing those conversations into the workforce means that you're able to start celebrating people as more than just the employee more than just the programmer you can start celebrating the fact that you know they're an ultra runner or Mm -hmm. that they enjoy taking part in some kind of theatrical dance whatever works for that person right you can start to build more of a community and more camaraderie that way internally as well and people will be more present because they'll have more energy to invest in their work and it really helps with that kind of isolation that can happen when we're just plugged in all the time as well brilliant really really nice point there and one i think i've often struggled with over the years and something that again really quite recently i've been trying to push harder and i think there's often times where you slip back into old habits but definitely found that getting that switch off time to go and do something that i actually truly enjoy you know, is is massive, kind of has huge impact on your well-being and your outlook on things. So there's a lot of fantastic information in there anyway, but for people listening to this podcast, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more questions and information that people are going to want to collect around this subject especially. So how would people be able to contact you, Amber? So the website address is balpro.com. My name is Amber Costa, C-O-S-T-E-R. If people want to look me up on LinkedIn and then post some stuff on Instagram as well, which is at Balpro. So all of those be able to contact me through. Fantastic. Well, I mean, obviously, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up and and obviously hearing about your fantastic journey and and how things have have kind of gone and, and why you are doing the things you're doing now. It's been really eye opening. I think, you know, as we kind of discussed pre this call it's kind of one of these things at the moment where it's not necessarily a great thing that there's such a a big push around mental health at the moment, because obviously that means that there's a problem with it at the moment more so than ever. But at the same time, I think as long as we can all acknowledge it and really start understanding how to help resolve some of these things and to be more vocal about them and to discuss things and any kind of pointers and guidance to help people get through any dark times or tough times especially right now you know i think this is going to be super useful for people so 
I really, really appreciate your time on this, Amber. And, and I think for me personally, I've taken a lot away from it anyway. So I'm sure our listeners will as well. Uh, such so, a pleasure. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much again for your time. And yeah, hopefully we'll catch up again very soon. Yeah, thanks. Brilliant. Cheers, Amber.